We're beginning chapter five now. We've had a wonderful experience in the last chapter, just tuning into some of the little episodes from the life of Lahiri Mahashaya and especially how he worked with his disciples. Now Yogananda continues his own outward journey. This chapter is titled, A Perfume Saint Displays His Wonders. And the opening line already, very instructive, very beautiful. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Now these are lines from the Bible, from the Old Testament. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So this is a theme that we've touched on before, but essentially this relaxation and understanding of the spiritual path that if we bring too much frantic, tense energy in our search, we miss out a lot of finer understandings and finer guidance. And often in our own journeys, you know, we're, we're a little reaching constantly, trying to get to some place, kind of trying to wait for the next thing to happen, trying to wait for the right guidance to come or the deep meditation to come or in Yogananda's particular case, his guru to come. And of course, it's important for us to attune also to these larger rhythms. A lot of people, and we've mentioned this before, often tell us how unhappy or disappointed they are that they didn't come to the spiritual path sooner or they didn't come across, you know, a certain teaching before. And of course, you know that there is no sooner, there is no before, there is nothing any one of us could really do to change the divine timing. And so here Yogananda already beginning the chapter, kind of establishing the fact that his own journey was yet to reveal to him what he was seeking. However, in the process, and this is where uh, Yogananda has an interesting encounter with so many saints, he's actually more revealing to himself what he doesn't need or what he's not so attuned to. Because often in our own journeys, we have to get out a lot of other stuff from our system before we can even prepare ourselves to receive that which is finally ours, which is meant for us. So if you feel in your, in whether it's your spiritual journey, whether it's your journey of success in life, whether it's a journey of your being, your motherhood, whatever it is, you know, recognize that a lot of the journey is first learning the what nots before we are even ready to learn the what ours. And so this is Yogananda's process now. So he's going to now learn a little bit more of through these encounter with these different saints, these different miracle workers, to kind of start to recognize, ah, you know, it's the process of neti neti, which is the jnana yoga way, not this, not that. So the aspirant first begins to recognize what isn't it that he is looking for before he really knows what it is that he is looking for. Do you want to say anything here? Yogananda then says, I gazed searchingly about me on any excursion from home. Excursion here doesn't mean, you know, one of those flights, but just anytime he stepped out of his house, he gazed searchingly 
for the face of my destined guru. So you can see on one hand the absolute desperation Yogananda has and in many ways this desperation is needed. I started by saying don't you know reach too far and create a lot of tension on the spiritual journey but there is this inner longing that won't let us stop or rest or become complacent at the same time because this desperation, I mean, you can just visualize Yogananda, he's out in the crowds, he's gone out for his, you know, shopping to go buy some groceries for his mother, or in this case, unfortunately, at for home. And he's just looking around and he's just trying to gaze at every face that comes before him and he says, is this my guru? Is this is the person I was, who's destined to guide me? And you can see him just open and searching and ready and uh, another beautiful attitude for us to keep, just open and searching and ready. Is God going to speak to me through this person today? Is he going to guide me through this circumstance today? Is he going to whisper in my ears through my child today? And just have that constant longing to want to communicate with the divine, to commune with the divine, to receive and recognize the divine. And this is the process that Yogananda was desperately already on. Yeah, And then he goes on to say, I met a number of sages during the interim period before he meets his guru. And he names them the Perfume Saint, the Tiger Swami, Nagendranath Bahaduri, Master Mahashaya, and of course the famous Bengali scientist Jagdish Chandra Bose. So we're just already, these are the joyful moments that we're going to now be exploring. So before he meets the Perfume Saint, which is what this is about, Yogananda is now at the Kali Ghat temple. Did you want to say something before? Okay. So let me have a little, very brief pause here because this is an important line. Yogananda says, two years elapsed between my flight with Amar towards the Himalayas and the great day of Sri Yudeshwar's arrival into my life. And this is an important concept for us to understand related also to the first lines of this chapter. There is a time for every season. And this chapter and the following chapters is all about those two years of waiting and what Yogananda did with that time. Because for many of us, we focus only from our destination and the goal. That's it, from where we are, and that's where we need to go. Those are the two points that we keep is a tendency that the devotee has, I had, people have in general. And we keep forgetting that that interval, interval? That, that period between where we are right now and our final destination is crucial. And we need to make the most of it. So as we have been saying in the previous classes, there is a time that needs to um, happen and needs to you know, pass between the intuition, the vision that we have in this case, Yogananda's vision of his own guru's face. I mean, he already know 
Sri uh, Yuteswar face. So the moment Yogananda will see that face, it will recognize it immediately, you know, like many of us who need to go through a process. So Yogananda already has a specific face. I mean, he has all the things in place, the intuition, the vision, yet he has to wait because he's not spiritually ready to absorb what his guru has to offer him or not ready to be shaped spiritually in the way he thinks he is. And this is a very important thing for us to understand and to relax in the process because there is a time that needs to happen between you plant a seed and that's perhaps is the desire to change, the desire to, you know, your love for God, the desire, you know, to meditate more deeply and daily. So from that seed that you have planted to the time that is ready to be harvested, it's just you cannot accelerate, you cannot manipulate that divine time. So it's going to be important for us to focus not only where we are right now and all the things that are wrong, all the things that need to change, nor our final destination once we will become one with God. So what's going to happen with all this time in between? What's going to happen and what are we going to, how are we going to utilize this time in the best way possible? So this is something that is going to be important for us to, to accept that now we are being given a period time like a trial or you know i don't know even how to say it but just this period where where we can just keep changing and getting ready ourselves for what god has already in place for us i mean the truth is like our destiny is is already settled for each one of us which is we are going to become one with God, you, him, me, absolutely everyone. It's just a matter of time and what we do with that time. So, so don't compare yourself like if I cannot dedicate my life fully, completely to the spiritual path because I still have work to, to do or responsibilities that, that I need to fulfill or certain aspects. Mm, don't get discouraged because you need that you are being shaped spiritually and you are getting ready for what God has to offer to each one of us. So um, anyway, a very, very important thing that even Yogananda didn't attract it. Uh, his guru immediately because he just had to gain different experiences, different understandings. He had to go to several disappointments. Uh, and then when all those things, all those veils were removed one by one, then is when his guru, you know, came to him and the real <laughs> job started. So, so take this time before you can make a you know, your next step spiritually as something very, very powerful that can transform you deeply. Now at the Kali gazing at Kali's statue. And suddenly he hears these words in his ear. God is simple. 
everything else is complex. Do not seek absolute values in the relative world of nature. Now, I don't want to discuss this yet. Let's go a little further because we'll keep building on the same theme. And Yogananda turns to see that there is a sadhu, a wandering sadhu, standing next to him, saying these words to him. And Yogananda says, You have indeed penetrated the bewilderment of my thoughts. The confusion of benign and terrible aspects in nature, as symbolized by Kali, has puzzled wiser heads than mine. Then the saint says, Few there be who solve her mystery. Good and evil is the challenging riddle which life places sphinx-like before every intelligence. So what's happening here? Yogananda is gazing at the statue of Kali and the thoughts that are running through his mind are the thoughts that run through a lot of our minds. And I think nowadays it's running a little even more than usual. And it is, how can both good and evil exist? How can God allow, you know, so much suffering, so much pain to take place in the world? How is it that if he's so loving and so benign and if all he wants is what's best for us and he only wants us, you know, to come back to him in his infinite bliss, then what's all this nonsense outwardly? What's all this pain? What's all this poverty? What's all this suffering that we see all around us? How can the two coexist? So, of course, I mean, I'm certain you've had this thought at least a hundred times. And when we come onto the spiritual path, I feel this is one of the major stumbling blocks for a lot of people. They, they want to believe in this all good, all loving, you know, all compassionate energy, power, presence. Yet at the same time, when they look around them, because see, when, when we're ready to really give ourselves to a spiritual journey, it is because we've refined enough of our own selves, our own tendencies in, and then we get a little more sensitive. We start to really experience people's suffering on a deeper level than we've done before. Before we saw something, you know, and it would just be a, oh, this is just how the world is. And now suddenly we're starting to question how could such a world even exist? And uh, in that process, when we're beginning, it becomes a little hard for us to know how to relate to God and hard to relate to this whole process. And so this is, another, this is a question Yogananda is playing through his mind right now. How can both good and evil exist? How can Kali, and in many ways Kali who represents nature, you know, Yogananda gives here in the little postscript um, that her four hands, you know, two are benign and two are destructive, which represents the dual nature of this universe of creation and the saint this sadhu says that every intelligence sooner or later is placed or uh, with this riddle and it becomes almost a means for us to penetrate penetrate through these two masks of duality to find that sense of unity behind it and he goes on now this section of this conversation or mostly a monologue by this sadhu is 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 very philosophical it's a little heavy and so we'll pick up little sections from it because some of it's just a little 
too kind of up there for many of us right now to even need to relate to. But there are some very clear gems that will help kind of just lubricate some of our own thought processes. And so then he says, uh, Yogananda says to him, after he has he talked about the good and evil, he's like, you speak with conviction, sir, which is another very, <laughs> you know, every person Yogananda is meeting, he's tuning into whether or not these people are just speaking words or that he can recognize that, ah, this is experience speaking. And whenever he sees and hears this is experience speaking, you, all, you, can, you can feel Yogananda suddenly shifting and changing and opening because he wants to know, he wants to hear, he wants to receive wisdom in whichever form it's coming to him right now until he meets the Guru that he's so desperately seeking. I have long, Sadhu says, I have long exercised an honest introspection, the exquisitely painful approach to wisdom. It's an interesting way that he puts it. True introspection is a painful process. Now, those of us who perhaps practice introspection, we may or may not ha have experienced that yet, but that's only because we've not really introspected deeply enough. Self-scrutiny, he says, relentless observance of one's thoughts is a stark and shattering experience. It pulverizes the stoutest ego. When the time comes, you know, we're constantly wondering about good and evil outside in the world. If we have enough sense of deep introspection, we'll first start to realize that a lot of good and evil resides in ourselves. That there's, in fact, a lot of darkness in us. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be purged. And it's a very stark and shattering experience, the way he says, because we delude ourselves often into thinking that I'm all right, you know, I'm not a bad person at all. I'm pretty good and, you know, I do what's needed and I'm taking care of the people who are under my responsibility. But the thoughts that we hold, the criticisms, the judgments, the anger, the hatred, the, you know, I mean, the, and these are not thoughts that we're just generating daily. These are thoughts where we've brought with us lifetime after lifetime. I mean, we've all experienced being a murderer, being, you know, rapists, being a prince, being extremely wealthy and not caring at all about the poor. I mean, we've experienced everything. You don't come to a state of, wow, none of this works, now I want God, until you've not gone through every experience this world has to offer and rejected it as a route to happiness. And this is a very long and painful process. But the seeds of all those lifetimes, they still reside within us. You know, we've been now starting the journey of the Bhagavad Gita. Here he's talking about introspection. The Bhagavad Gita begins with Sanjaya, who represents introspection, already starting to see who the warriors are on the good and on the side of the bad, on the Pandavas and on the Kauravas. And this is exactly what this sadhu is talking about. Only true introspection, and this is real introspection, where you lay bare your soul and recognize everything that is within you. And when that happens, so much humility comes in that you recognize that, of course, this world is going to display the exact same process that I am going through. 
that everything that I thought that I'm good and I have nice enough thoughts and I'm sweet enough and I'm kind when, you know, when it suits my purposes. But if I were to dig just a little deep beyond the facade of the superficial personality we have created for ourselves, which is generally decent for most people, there's a whole ocean of muck and garbage of lifetimes of accumulated vasans and samskars and thoughts and vrittis and actions and tendencies and this is what the sadhu is now talking about he's not talking anymore about this superficial what did you do in your day how was your day did you react did you not react he's not talking about that kind of introspection he's talking about real introspection where you are diving so deep that you look at yourself for who you are right now and say okay <laughs> I, you know i'm not even close to where I think I am. I have so much that I still have to work on and a certain sense of humility and a certain sense of, oh my goodness, the ego-shattering reality of who you truly are sets in and it's an important step. He continues on to say, man can understand no eternal verity until he has, been until he has freed himself from all pretensions, from all pretend that we have created for ourselves, who we think we are, the definitions, the understandings of our own selves. Just we've layered ourselves over and over again and the masks that we've put on again and again, they're very confusing to us. They hide our true nature, both of bliss, but also of, again, everything that we've accumulated. And our process now is one of painfully weeding out from ourselves many of these things. And this is going to require, in many ways, a lot of suffering. Once somebody asked Swami Kriyananda, we've said this many times before, but always worth repeating, why there aren't more people on the spiritual path? You know, it seems so obvious. If everyone is seeking bliss, why are not there enough people actively uh, dedicating themselves to that pursuit of happiness? And Swamiji's answer was, you know, very surprising to everyone who were present in that moment when he said that it's only because they have not suffered enough. And it is our suffering that purifies us and brings us to a state where we are finally open to an alternative. Because when we are, when life is comfortable, we don't ask questions, we don't seek solutions, we're not, we don't question happiness, you see, we don't wonder. It's like, oh, when money is flowing, I'm not going to wonder anything. The moment I turn off the money spigot, that tap turns off, suddenly I start questioning what's going on, why is this happening, why is the world against me, why are people betraying me, why, you know, just all that, and, and then I suffer. And in my suffering, I wonder, I ask, I have to introspect, I have to see. And so this, say, this particular sadhu, his journey has been one of weeding out all these inner demons. It's not necessarily everyone's journey. Not all of us have to go through the same kind of heart-wrenching process. But we have to be aware that a lot of that's going to be part of our spiritual journey no matter what. Don't assume once you lay your foot steadily on the spiritual path that it's all roses and uh, you know all lovey-dovey good stuff will come to you. No, in that journey a lot of other stuff is also going to come to you not because 
it's there to come to you but it just exists inside you and it has to be released one way or the other now yogananda very sweetly says to this man because this guy's really you know he's really giving it he's like the human mind bared to centuried slime is steaming with the repulsive life of countless world delusions so you can see this man's he doesn't have a very uh, compassionate world view of what every human being is going through because he's seen what he has seen inside himself and he recognizes that what he sees inside himself is also present in everyone else and it has made him a little cynical and yogananda in his absolute sweetness i mean he's still a little boy but immediately he brings the saint and says respected sir have you no sympathy for the bewildered masses you can see wisdom without any compassion is really of no use and a lot of our wisdom is just talk and until it does not develop an open heart in ourselves where we finally recognize that the process we are going through everyone is going through that the pains and the duality that you express within yourself that lives very strongly within you lives in all hearts and then when i look at somebody and i see them acting in ignorance acting in anger you know i i can no longer fault them i can no longer say why why are they doing this this is no way to act this is not the right thing to do but this is how i would act given if i were in that particular circumstance i have that potential to act in that way inside me and it's an important process for each of us to start to recognize that duality exists not because the world wants to suffer or not because god wants anyone to suffer it exists because we've generated it experience after experience within ourselves and what we've generated within ourselves is what we're going to express outwardly and the world is right now perfectly poised as a reflection as a perfect mirror of the consciousness of the masses of each of us and what we see is what we have within us so we use the world as a mirror and say oh wait a minute if that duality exists if there's hatred outside that means there must be hatred inside me as well if there's separation outside there must be separation inside me as well and i use the world as a means to gauge where my consciousness might be and then to look within and then try to purify my consciousness from within i don't know if narayani has something to add there is a line that perhaps you didn't notice but What? i <laughs> i really liked in this conversation when yogananda says what the sadhu truth humbly retires no doubt before such arrogant originality and in this case a uh, truth is god and this is something very mm, good for us to at least meditate about it in our daily lives because yogananda said that the highway to self realization is very very narrow i mean the spine the shushumna where we have to start working over some scars and past karmas and tendencies and all that is just happening all in that you know shushumna where we practice our kriya where we practice where we do our spiritual practices there is a lot of energy that needs to go upward flow upward to the brain and what 
this line it says it says like that pathway is so narrow that when the ego steps in god steps out so i remember one swami kriyananda saying self-involvement only brings suffering so if we can start when we when we introspect throughout the day but but honestly where are those moments that i was so self-involved that i didn't care much about that person or my children needs or this person's you know needs or or i was so involved in being acknowledged and recognized or i was so busy making money that you know nothing else mattered to me and everything else le- uh, seemed less important i mean that's the real introspection because we can see very clearly when the ego steps in in our lives and that's something that um, god is not going to impose himself nor the guru in our self motivations in fact eventually we'll need to suffer as Shuja was saying because we have not suffered enough and we are still going behind things people situations that will never give us happiness and bliss that is what we are really looking for so so that's that's what's really happening in our spine in our consciousness and in our spiritual life every time that the ego really wants or feels he has to do or say something god says you know fine i'm going to let you you know do it in the way you think it needs to be done and that's the only way the only way you will learn your lesson so in a sense that that's the only little free will we have if every decision we take is going to bring us close brings us closer to that truth that alignment with kindness generosity compassion and so many those those things or whether our actions are going to bring us farther from that truth so this is the balance that we need to um, find out within ourselves daily how many times do i perceive that my ego and believe me the ego the more spiritual you become (laughs) the subtle the ego becomes because he finds ways to fool you and make you believe that that thing was coming from a higher source and from a higher principle and believe me you just have to watch out every little thing that's the painful introspection and discrimination that the sadhu is talking about is to identify very precisely when the ego steps in and and sometimes when you see that you feel like horrible in a sense like oh my god i mean that was awful but only those and then you realize okay i'll make sure not to behave in that way next time not in a sense to judge you yourself or to feel 
very bad about what you have done, but just to encourage you and to make you more aware that, okay, maybe this is something I need to pay, pay more attention and do it less. So then when the ego steps bit by bit backwards, that's when the guru comes. That's when the divine comes and really start um, guiding your life. When Yogananda finally, or Mukunda, says to the sadhu, Sir, respected sir, have you no sympathy for the bewildered masses? Suddenly again you can see the sadhu realizing, oh wait a minute, that's true. Because he's practiced introspection so well, you know, he immediately caught himself going in that one direction because we even go, you know, again, spiritually speaking, sometimes we go on the other side and we just like, oh, it's their karma, you know, their suffering is their own problem and they're going through things that they have only generated for themselves. And it can't go either way. We can't either give in to people's suffering where it's like, oh, why is this happening? What's wrong with the world? And neither can we say, well, the world is just what it is and it's all maya and it's all suffering and everyone's just getting what they deserve. So the joy of the spiritual path, the truth of the spiritual path rise perfectly in between these two realities. Now, the sadhu goes in one direction of just, you know, it's mankind's own making everything that it's doing. And suddenly Yogananda brings him back and says, have you no compassion for the bewildered masses? And then Yogananda says, a few lines later, you know, the sadhu's austere face was noticeably softened. And then the sadhu sums up exactly what we were talking about again in such beautiful words, which I believe are Yogananda's words, but let's assume they're the sadhu's words. <laughs> and he says, just bringing again to the whole point to uh, a closure. The one who practices a scalpel self-dissection will know an expansion of universal pity. So if in your own introspection, if it's only bringing you, as Narayani said, more self-involved, something's wrong with your introspection. But if your introspection is freeing you to feel an expansion of self, that the people that you were otherwise judgmental of criticizing, suddenly you feel so much pity and compassion and you embrace them, then something really, really wonderful is happening. Release is given him from the deafening demands of the ego. Then you start to really be released from ego involvement. The love of God flowers on such soil. The creature finally turns to his creator. If for no other reason than to ask in anguish, Why, Lord, why? You know, I think everyone recognizes this moment. I know when I was in college and it was this... It was this anguish, why? What's going on? Why are you making me experience this? Why am I going through this process? The why is where we finally turn to God in all earnestness because now we really want to know. Until this time, we're not really that interested. But now we really want to know. Once we start to realize that this is all within us, now I want to know. And this is the most beautiful line even though a little painful line. By ignoble, ignoble whips of pain, man is driven at last into the infinite presence whose beauty alone should lure him. It's these whips of pain and suffering that finally make us turn our back on 
creation or on the at least the attachment to creation and set our sights to god i was thinking in terms of a little child you know when children are playing they're just caught up in their little game and they're just so busy but the moment they fall or they hurt themselves the first thing they will do is look for their mother or their father you know when they're when everything's fun i'm just involved i'm playing so it's like us you know we're just caught up in the world and we're just having our fun with our money and with our attachments and with our relationships and with our ego and then suddenly a blow comes and then we are like we look for god and it's these little blows blow after blow suffering after suffering which may seem to us unjust but that is what is shaping us those are the hammer blows of the sculptor as he shapes the statue into beauty and then we start to look for the love of god and that's when we begin our journey more earnestly than before and th- thus yogananda has this little conversation with this man and then finally the sadhu is about to leave do you want to say anything before the sadhu leaves and he just says to him you are young india too is young and the ancient rishis laid down ir- in eradicable patterns of spiritual living no outmoded not outmoded not unsophisticated against the guiles of materialism the disciplinary precepts mold india still now those of us who are in india we we see the chaos outside and yet we see so much grace and this grace is what these ancient rishi, rishis have essentially seeded this land with Yogananda always said India will become the guru of the world is the guru but will finally reclaim its place as the guru of the world and will usher in the final you can say wave of spirituality and that's already happening in every corner of the world now but now we have to really make this our own we can no longer sit on the shoulders of the rishis and say oh yeah they did that and look at the precepts they and all the wonderful wisdom that they have seeded into our land well we've going to have to start really practicing it because if india is really the epitome of duality where you see both sides played in stark contrast to one another and it becomes our job now to unite these two contrasts as narayani was saying in our own spine and start practicing these teachings just a little bit more earnestly a little more practically less in the mind and more in our daily lives more as a discipline of this is who we are this is my true heritage this is the spiritual wealth that my forefathers have left me and this is what i want to express in the world and finally then the the sadhu says to him that after you leave here today an unusual experience will come your way so they part ways sadhu goes his way yogananda then starts heading for home from Ka- from kalighat and on the way he meets bumps into a friend and this is a b- little fun line that i just want to bring out no spiritual wisdom here but he says i ran into an old acquaintance one of those long-winded fellows whose conversational powers ignore time and embrace eternity <laughs> we all have people in our lives who are just who love to uh, to kind of engage people for a very very long time yeah, and for- they are born for that purpose they add a lot of color and joy in our lives but here's yogananda meeting one of those fellows and 
He, of course, he says, I inwardly petitioned the goddess Kali to devise a graceful means for escape. Again, you see in Yogananda's life, anything that comes to him, his first thought goes to God. Okay, you come into this process, you guide this process, help me escape this gracefully as I can. So he's very, his, his relationship to God is so active, is so real, is so present in every every experience he has in life and this is something we we desperately need to inculcate you know we wait and we wait till we try so hard to figure it out you know the moment a person who we dislike comes into our life you know we're just starting to criticize him we start thinking badly about him and what's yogananda's first thing okay god master my guru goddess god help me gracefully exit and escape this process instantly he wants to just bring god he's not interested in starting to dissect this other person he's only interested in his own relationship to god and finally you want to say something no, no, no. finally what all right then he says that talks about the perfume say, what the paradox i must leave you now yeah that guy just you know why didn't you say that yeah, and the other thing is like what Shurja was saying, Yogananda had a constant relationship with the divine, like super active, and yet there was so much sense of humor in that relationship. There was not this ceremonial, you know, serious approach to the divine. I mean, he had so much fun with God. I mean, he saw the most weirdest situations as divine mother's sense of humor sending him this sending him that and i think this is important for us to also practice a little bit more and keep refining our relationship with the divine because what he sends to us sometimes is so humorous and so surrealistic that rather than complain about it and rather than reject it and say as before why this is happening to me you know sometimes it's like just god having a great time with us and just seeing how we are going to take uh, this situation so complain to him and just laugh with him and say oh my god you know god that was so good i didn't see that coming or whatever just just bring a sense a sense of humor and make your life a little bit more fluid and not put things into boxes of this is good this is bad experience you know start bringing you know that lightness to to everything that comes to us because sometimes god really wants for us to relax a little bit by you know again very surreal uh, situations and very we are people that show up in our lives with the very, you know, character, you know, certain personalities, eccentric. eccentric people. And I think it's just that's a way of God shows us that he has a great sense of humor and can be manifested in such a variety of situations and personalities. So after Yogananda says his little prayer, to the goddess Kali, his friend says to him, his, his companion, Oh, I forgot to tell you of Gandha Baba. This is perfume saint. So Gandha over here comes from, I believe, the Bengali term, Gondho, which means fragrance. 
Um, so I forgot to tell you of this perfume saint who is gracing yonder house. <laughs> These words, yonder house. So he's pointing at something and saying he's staying over there. Do meet him. He is interesting. You may have an unusual experience. Goodbye. <laughs> and then Master says, Yogananda says, yeah. and he actually left. <laughs> so happy. He, he was quite like, wow, this guy, you know, knowing him, he would have talked to me for hours, but he just immediately left. How Divine Mother must have placed the thought in his mind. And so Yogananda hears, you see, this is him again listening. The sadhu there said, oh, you're going to have an unusual experience. This friend of his, who otherwise Yogananda would never think God's going to speak to me through him. You know, he's like, I'm trying to get rid of him. I don't want to be around him. But again, Divine Mother, as Narayani said, in her sense of humor, uses exactly those people that you're trying to get rid of, exactly those people you don't want around you. And they are the, they are the you can say, covert messengers of God. And over here, by saying the words, you may have an unusual experience, Yogananda's antennas go, boom, ah, wait a minute, Sadhu, this guy. And then he says, okay, what this guy is saying to me, let me go ahead with it. Because he could have easily, when if somebody says, oh, there's this guy here, this perfume saint, you should go check him out. Maybe you would have, maybe you wouldn't. But if you're listening and if you're hearing the, the you can say, subtle omens, of is this coming to me from God, is this coming to me from Divine Mother, then you start to say, okay, let me follow through on this. And of course, because we're at 12, we will follow through on this in our next class. But in the meantime, you know, it seems for this last uh, two weeks, especially since we started the Bhagavad Gita and now with this chapter, just this concept of introspection is coming a lot. And everything that's going on around us in the world right now, I think is forcing people to introspect like they never have before. So whatever time we have left, and it seems our time just keeps getting extended with this lockdown, but do take this process seriously if you can. And especially the way this sadhu kind of talked about introspection, a little more deeper. There has to be, there has to be almost, you can say, a certain level of discomfort in our introspection. Only then do you know that you are going beyond the layers of superficiality. That, that you are willing to see parts of yourself that you have for very long time forgotten and set aside and hoped never to look at. And only I'm going to focus on only, you know, these uh, outward realities that I'm aware of. But no, go a little deeper. Go into those places in your own heart, in your own self, where then you will really learn to be a little more humble, which is very important. And you will also learn not to see others the way that you have been seeing them, especially when you recognize that you have exactly those same tendencies as all others do. And please add to this process of introspection impersonality, okay? You are not judging yourself. You are not trying to see every single fault you have. We don't want for you after a session of your own introspection, you know, to be able to be rescued, go to the hospital and be in the UC just because you are just kill yourself in the process. No, we are not talking about that. Just detach yourself from that practice and just you are just analyzing like other person. In this case, it has your face, it has your body, it has, you know, your lifestyle. And you are trying very impersonally 
see those moments, those tendencies, like very carefully and just make an impression and a reminder in yourself, like, you know, this needs to be redirected or I need to pay more attention in this or I need to work more in this aspect or I see this tendency it keeps coming again and again perhaps I need to focus right now in this mm, tendency these actions and maybe in two months from now I will pick up this other thing that I still need to work on but again please make this very impersonal otherwise (laughs) you will fall again you know trap yourself and you will go into a downward um downward spiral so again very impersonal with a lot of discrimination and detachment and you know just just analyze yourself but but don't get too personally involved otherwise it 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 might not fulfill its purpose so make fun in the process and laugh about yourself you know when you are you know in that introspection practice like oh my god here i come again doing the same thing or like when is this guy going to learn so but do it in a sense that you are encouraging you you are not judging you you are having fun and you are also inviting the presence of the divine of your guru uh, to keep reminding you in little ways you know throughout the day like okay you know becoming more alert and aware of those little tendencies that really is it's just a matter of redirecting and just make priorities in in those things that need to be worked out but it's it's, it's not don't make this like a something like super heavy. heavy that you know if i don't do it today you know i'm out of the path and god is <laughs> going to refuse me from his chosen ones no he's going to have fun with you and you have to have fun with him all right many many blessings have a fabulous day